0: Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast. Hope you're having a great morning and a great day. In this episode, we're going to talk about a specific time period and we're going to look at Dante and Petrarch and how these two figures in kind of the late medieval, early Renaissance period are paving, kind of paving the way they are carving out two different trajectories, uh, which is very... uh, Kind of decisive in a sense, like the outcome of this in terms of that Petrarch founds humanism, and then that becomes the, the the dominant cultural force. Then in the late 1300s, and then into the 1400s, and that creates the Renaissance. But there's something interesting in how the dynamic between Dante and Petrarch was. And this is also a part of, um, we're going to have the, the talk, the episode with John Strickland, the historian, college professor, very soon. But as a part of planning this, we just discovered that we need to do more research on specifically this period, because this is so crucial in, this is kind of a crossroads for European history after the this era from the schism to about 1300, where you have this papal supremacy, you have the papal reformations, and then you create, you change the theology into a very negative anthropology, cosmology, the earthly is just misery. And you have then, in a sense, two different reactions to this, again, with Dante, who kind of renews and tries to create a healthy, positive, generative, overall cosmology, while Petrarch just dismisses the spiritual, the theology, more or less altogether, and just goes back to the classical, the pagan times, and makes this humanism, where you, where you more or less, at least you start the process of of removing the 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 divine, the beyond, and also in some sense the humility that there are limitations to our capacity to understand and our knowledge, so. Largely because of that, we're gonna see now how uh, Petrarch is defending himself. So Petrarch had been with Boccaccio, so these are two of the kind of the three giants of early Renaissance uh, Italian literature with his son Dante and Boccaccio. Boccaccio and Petrarch. Boccaccio lived from thirteen thirteen to thirteen seventy five He's most famous for the the Cameron, and there was like a hundred stories ten ten young people escaping the the Black Death, and then going to the countryside, and then they tell 10 stories each, so then you have like 100 stories. And then Petrarch lived from 1304 to 1374, and he's mostly known for the canzoniere, which is uh, uh, poetry, love poetry, about this figure called Laura. So, back to the point of Dante versus Petrarch and the contrast. So, Petrarch was being attacked for being so negative towards Dante and for hating Dante. Boccaccio, on the other hand, was a big, big lover of Dante. Uh, He is also the one who coined the phrase divine comedy. Dante just called it the comedy. He also, in turn, for as like a working title, Dante called it the sacred poem. But then the title became the comedy and then Boccaccio described it as a divine comedy. And then that stuck and that eventually became kind of the official title of the work. So Boccaccio is uh, very surprised that Petrarch almost doesn't know anything about Dante. So after they have a meeting, Boccaccio sends an, a copy of of the Divine Comedy and tries to make the case for why Dante is a wonderful writer and that uh, his work is very uh, helpful, positive, inspiring, and full of wisdom and knowledge. So then Petrarch writes a letter, and now we're going to come to now we're going to hear how Petrarch is describing his thoughts about Dante. So this is in 1359. This is called now the Familiaris uh, 2115 and the Epistle to Boccaccio about Dante. So Petrarch titles the letter to Giovanni Boccaccio de Chartaldo. Defending himself against a calumny leveled at him by envious people. So calumny is false and defamatory statements. Many things in your letter require no answer, seeing that we have so recently discussed them in person. But there are one or two matters which I have noted as demanding my special attention and which I will proceed briefly to speak of. So again, this is Petrarch writing to Boccaccio and I was going to talk about Dante. In the first place, you excused yourself with much earnestness for having possibly said too much in praise of our fellow countryman. This is Dante. That poet, just notice already here, he calls him that poet who employs the language of the people, though his subject matter is unquestionably noble. So this is because Dante wrote in the vernacular instead of writing in Latin, for the most part. And your manner of doing so would seem to imply that I might look upon his renown or upon that of any other man as detracting from my own. So this is the charge that Petrarch was full of envy towards Dante. Thus you say that all your praise of him would, if rightly considered, only redound to my glory. And you add, by way of further apology for the tribute you have paid him, that it was he who inspired and directed your earliest studies. Your grateful recognition of what you owe him is, of course, a mere matter of justice and gratitude, or, more strictly speaking, of filial piety. For if we owe all to the progenitors of our bodies, and much to the makers of our fortunes, what do we not owe to those who have fathered and fostered our talents? The thing which disturbs me most in your apologetic epistle is that I should, after all, be so little known to one who I thought understood me thoroughly. So now he's starting to make charges against Boccaccio here. Am I not the one to rejoice, nay, to glory in the praise of illustrious men? Believe me, nothing is further from my nature, no baseness more foreign than the sentiment of envy. On the contrary, I call the divine, the searcher of hearts, to witness that nothing in life has ever been more painful to me than to see deserving men deprived of their due honor and reward. Is it those who hate me, who have charged me with hating and despising that poet, again, that poet, talking about Dante, in order to discredit me with a common herd, to whom he is especially acceptable? So here you see kind of this, this passive-aggressive tone of Petrarch that he then says about Dante that the common herd especially likes him. For why in the first place should I hate a man whom I never saw but once in my life and that when I was a mere boy? He lived on terms of intimacy with my father and my grandfather, a younger man than the latter, but older than the former, in company with whom he was banished from Florence on the occasion of the same civil tumult. So this is the backstory of Petrarch's father and Dante were both exiled from Florence in 1302. And then they knew each other and Dante was a little bit older than his father. A very warm friendship then sprang up between these two victims of a common calamity as is wont to be the case where there is a similarity of tastes and pursuits as well as of destiny. He, however, endured that exile, to which my father, harassed by many cares, domestic and other, succumbed. And he followed with ever-increasing zeal his original purpose, careless of everything but his fame. So there's another slide from Petrarch, when he says that Dante is careless of everything except for his fame. Now, this I consider marvelous, and beyond all praise, that a man should keep to his chosen path, and never be moved either by poverty or exile, or the taunts and slanders of his compatriots, or his own natural affection for wife and children. You see how odious and even ridiculous is this charge, trumped up by I know not whom, of enmity on my part against one whom I have no motives to hate, but on the contrary, many to love such as my father's regard and their common patriotism and the genius of the man himself and his style which is the best possible of its kind this is a little bit ambiguous when he says like Dante's poetry is is the best in his genre (laughs) Uh, and one which must always and everywhere preserve him from contempt and the last one there is a little bit also that this is something about the word choices of Petrarch that instead of saying that should always lift Dante to glory for his his beautiful poetry he just says that, like preserve him from contempt but it's then like he then still uses the words contempt and him. So uh, this is the the main extracts from this letter where Petrarch is defending himself against the charge that he doesn't like Dante and this is like people can make their own own judgment on the tone of this letter, but uh, it seems, at least in s- the things we pointed out, that he is uh, he is not uh, he's not very uh, positive towards Dante, and he has some issues, maybe both with uh, Dante's fame, Dante's achievements, and um, and also just the level and quality of his his poetry. So. So that is one thing, but they also had different thoughts about uh, how the culture at the time in Tuscany should be, and then also how to relate to the classical world, if you should just take it all up and make that the new overall cosmology, or if, if you should unify this together as Dante does in the Divine Comedy. He takes in all the classical tradition, all of the Greek mythology, and orders it in this more comprehensive cosmology and still then making the argument that we have to have like the see ourselves in a bigger in a bigger picture and that bigger picture is partly something we don't fully understand it is something beyond us and it's also a bit of a mystery so that is uh that's kind of one of the main differences between the two and um if you look at history it's like petrarch's vision is is clearly the one that won uh in his time, increasingly into the 1400s, and laying the foundation for the modern world and modernity as well, at least to, to some extent or to a large extent. So um, it's uh, it's interesting to look into this. And then you could also see something like this, that at the time you had a, a changing mood in, in the culture, then largely driven by what the church had done from the schism 1054 until, let's say, the 1300s and then uh, you have people are different so they react in different ways and then Dante has one reaction to the negativity and to the problems with how the church had developed and Petrarch has another idea and then it's a bit like the, the combination of individuals and the general mood of the time is what kind of stakes out the, the path for the future from that point point. and then more people but then driven towards uh, Pet- Petrarch then towards Dante and this becomes like a self reinforcing process in increasingly in Florence with more of the humanists and then you get Mirandola and you get more of those writers who say that that uh, humans are not below the angels they are at the level of angels or possibly beyond the level of them as well and then gradually you start removing everything that is around and then you just get humans as the only the the humans become the big picture themselves. And that plays into the old Greek mythology and myths about the hubris. Okay, so we're going to stop this one here. This was just like a little taste of how you had different strains of thoughts in the 1300s, especially then with Petrarch and with Boccaccio and with Dante. So hope some of this was interesting, some uh, food for thought. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in and see you again in the next... Episode.